0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your written word. And uh, may the words that I speak be as if they are from your heart to our hearts. And may we leave here uh, not only knowing that we have met with you, but with something more to do for your glory. We ask this uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and in the power of the Spirit who, who indwells us. Amen. Uh, So tonight we we, uh, look into the book of 1 Chronicles and the fantastic and perhaps last public prayer of the great King David. It's a fabulous piece of scripture, I hope you agree, that tells us a lot about the God we as Christians claim to know and love as well as how we are to respond to him. Uh, Originally 1 and 2 Chronicles were one book It's the final book of the Jewish canon and probably written by Ezra and was also known as the events of the days or the things omitted, which would seem to suggest that Chronicles was to be regarded as additional to the books of Kings and Samuel. It's a book which was written for those from the nation of Israel who are now in exile to remind them of their spiritual heritage, the journey and history of Israel as a nation. For us, though, not least I, it issues certain challenges to us all. I'll be doing my reading from the authorised version. It's the 400th year anniversary this year, and as I read, you will see how much of its language has entered into our language today. Its influence on the development of English language is simply quite remarkable. So here, here is the great King David. In chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles, we have this great King David in his final days before handing over the crown to his son Solomon. His great son Solomon. David is no longer the the shepherd boy who slew Goliath. He's at the end of his life. He wanted to build the temple himself, but God told him back in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 3, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. The building of the temple was to be ultimately achieved by his great son Solomon. So what's happened so far, according to the chronicler? In the uh, immediate verses uh, before this, before our reading, we saw how David has given publicly a great deal of wealth, including gold, silver, and other personal possessions for this building, the great temple of God. This was to serve as an active encouragement for others to also give generously, not only of their material possessions, but also as we read from 1 Chronicles 28 verse 21, their talents and craftsmanship as well. This house of God would be a community effort, king and pauper alike, giving generously and honestly. So here is King David, A man who, despite his many faults, and he did have many faults, is described as a man after God's own heart. Israel's greatest king, saying this prayer of intimate praise and adoration to the God of his youth and his old age in front of the assembled throngs. This prayer, like his gifts of gold, could be said to be David's legacy to the nation of Israel, to Solomon, and by extension, also to us. So firstly, the wow factor of God. And I do, I do get a wow factor of God reading these verses. Look how David talks of God. You can tell that David has had a vibrant, active, and intimate relationship with this God, the God of his youth and his old age. And he piles up the metaphors. He speaks of God personally. Thou, thee, you, yours, our, I, my. David praises God for who God is. And verse 10 sets the scene. Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, for ever and ever. God is their father. He's David's father. He is everlasting. Before Israel was... He is and always will be. He was to be their God and they were to be his people, a shining light to the nations. God takes care of them as a father does his children, giving generously, protecting them and always being available for guidance and wisdom. And verse 11 is perhaps uh, the central verse of this prayer. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is your, thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. The whole emphasis is on the Lord God's greatness, power, glory, victory and majesty. All are yours, O God, throughout the earth and the heavens. Yours is the kingdom. Not ours, but yours, O king, for they are attributes of a king. God's greatness is vast, incomparable, and unfathomable. God's power is that of a warrior, almighty, overwhelming, yet alluring, and all power comes from him to every dependent creature. God's glory is the exuberant and ecstatic magnificence of his very being. Victory shows God as an all-conquering hero, transcendent and supreme, to whom all creatures and creation are subject. His victories are irrefutable and undeniable. His uncompromising majesty symbolizes a dignity, regency, splendor, and awesome magnificence. These things, greatness, power, glory, victory, and majesty, are essential attributes of who God is, indelible, immutable, unchangeable, and permanent. God is a king in greater splendor than any of the excesses of King Louis Sixteenth. If you don't know about Louis, go look him up on the internet in the scale of his extravagance. This God is a mighty king to be exalted above all things, and he is to be held in his rightful place, high and lifted up. As for the kingdom, whose is it? Is it Israel's? No. Is it David's? Again, No, it is God's and his alone. His kingdom is of total magnificence and is far greater than the Roman Empire to come, even greater than the British Empire, which was never to see the sun set upon it. Jesus is probably quoting here in what we call the Lord's Prayer. So David's words resonate down through history. In this context, however, David uses kingdom to symbolize the fact that the building materials, the amassed wealth, did not belong to Israel, but rather they were God's alone. God's kingdom shows his universal influence, authority, and universality. Everything is God's. It's all his. Nobody can say they own ultimate possession of anything. The only reason, to paraphrase David, we have this amassed wealth to build the temple, is because we have the leasehold to it. God owns the freehold, it's all his, and because of his generosity, we can build him this house. And not only these material possessions, but also the imagination, ingenuity, craftsmanship, skills and talents. Well, they all came from God as well. So you craftsmen, bless God, because God has blessed you with skilled hands to work on his house. Your strength is ultimately from his unlimited resources of strength. This is no impersonal statue or idol like the surrounding nations. This is the living God, awesome in all things, yet willing to be involved in a personal relationship with his creation. This is the God who through the Levitical law wants to to live with his people of joy, to be their living God. This God is the light of all things, good, bright and blessed, He is the greatest of the greatest, truly incomprehensible yet also knowable. David is in utter adoration of this great God. I wonder if David knew that this physical temple itself was only ever going to be a temporary building until the coming of the Messiah when God would no longer dwell in a house made of gold and stone but rather live in a house made of human flesh. It's out of his wonderfully glorious grace that the Lord God Almighty gave the gifts in the first place and the cheerful, sacrificial response from his people in gratitude to him was remarkable. All these things were given willingly. The possessions, the gold, the silver, the skills, the power and the strength. All in service of the great God of Israel, the great father of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, and the other patriarchs. Surely this is a God worthy of all praise, worship, and life commitment. Each person praises differently, and in different ways, so let's rejoice when we see other people praising God differently to our own style. So with that said, let's stand and respond to God by singing together Pound of Praise number 219, King of Kings, Majesty. That's the wow factor of God. A God who is abundant in greatness, power, glory, victory and majesty. Now let's look together at David himself. All the attributes of praise given here by David to God could with a great deal of justification be also said about Israel or even King David himself. They are at the time a strong nation and David quite rightly still on the throne. Israel's greatest king full of power, might and majesty. But no, what does David say in verse 14? But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. It's all about God for David. He wouldn't say that I am only here because of him. David has been reflecting on his whole life from the time he defeated the Philistine, armed only with a sling and a stone. He sees his past failures, the utter depravity of those, but also his repentant heart before a holy God. The end of verse 14 again. All things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. And this resonates down through history in churches worldwide as the prayer given at offering. David exhibits great humility before God and sets an example for his son Solomon and the other people of Israel to follow. And then in verse 15, For we are strangers before thee, the sojourners, as were all our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. David acknowledges that Israel were only tenants in the promised land, on a leasehold agreement. They were a nation of sojourners, traveling a journey from their foundation as a nation onwards. It's like David was saying to the Lord, we are here temporarily, but you, O God, are here permanently. What an amazingly generous God you are, giving with such exceeding grace to us, David confesses they are are but transient and uh, aliens in the land God had given them. It's an image tying them to their patriarchs as they wandered in the wilderness, living only on what their God provided them with, as they looked for the promised land. It's also an image of an acknowledgement that all life is supremely dependent upon God and God alone. God was to be their God and they were to be his people, to be shining as a light to all nations, as God's representatives. And here, here is the mighty King David, bowing in humility before a great God whom he adores, serves and worships. He knew that his whole life had been uh, one of dependence upon God for all things and David was exhibiting this before his people. David's prayer was that the people of Israel would continue to depend on God but also exhibit that dependence and show how God supplied them graciously. Not only for David but also for the chronicler too. He was recording this for the people of Israel when they were in exile. The chronicler reminds the people in exile to be utterly dependent upon God for all and everything. For the chronicler, the building of the temple was more a matter of the heart and built upon the faith of God to supply. This faith was expressed in the building made of gold, silver, wood and other metals. It was due to God's generosity alone the temple would be built and nothing to do with David and his people. It would have been a tremendous temptation to be filled with boastful pride about it. It was a test of people's hearts to see if they really did love their God. Then in the final words of this prayer, we see David praying for unreserved and enthusiastic giving from the people. He changes from acknowledgement to petition. And in verses 18-20, to 20, David exhorts an outpouring of generosity from his people from a heart filled with thanks, a heart acknowledging total dependence on God for all things, a heart and life of loyal obedience to Almighty God. Solomon also was to be wholeheartedly obedient and devoted it fully to this God, a heart filled with peace with God, a life totally devoted to him, and exhibited with joyful giving. That's what David was praying for his people and for his son Solomon. It's also what the chronicler was expecting from the people in exile, as he recounts this to them. It was to be a community effort of devotion and obedience to an almighty God, on whom they were dependent for all facets of human life. Everybody giving what they could willingly, out of riches or poverty. So in a worshipful response to this great God, let us stand and sing Baptist Praise number 74. You are the King of Glory. So what? Firstly we saw the wow factor of God, a God who is almighty, who exudes greatness, power, glory, victory and majesty. And then we saw David's utter adoration and dependence upon the God that he knows intimately. And so finally, what does all this have to do with us? How often do we receive from our God but not thank Him for it? We are to be thankful for every good gift that is given to us. We offer praises and thanks to Him for who He is and for His generosity and grace towards us. Tonight's Bible passage was a superb piece of thanksgiving and prayer. When was the last time you thanked God for all the things he has given you? How can we put this thanks and praise into action? Let's have a look quickly. Firstly, I am convinced that there are enough wealthy Christians sitting in churches in the West who can make significant donations and virtually eradicate a lot of the poverty in the developing world and indeed their own countries. This would be active Christian giving on a radical scale. In Biblical stories, such as this from 1 Chronicles 29, it's always those who had the most, who gave the most, as an example to others of God's generosity. After all, God owns it all anyway, and it's only given as a loan from God, and not a transference of ownership. And as Christians, we are to desire to mature spiritually, growing in adoration, obedience and commitment, To this God we proclaim to serve. And perhaps the greatest indicator today concerns our giving. Giving is to be done wholeheartedly, willingly and cheerfully. It's also not so much about how much is given, but how much is left after giving and the attitude behind the giving. God looks behind that which is given to the motive and the attitude behind it. All our money and possessions belong to him anyway, as we have seen. So giving is to be in response to this. Our money and possessions are a leasehold agreement with God, and most certainly not a freehold one. Many prayers seemingly go unanswered, because God is waiting on other people to be obedient to him in order to answer the prayer of others. We are to be generous with everything we have, not just in the area of money, but with our very lives. We all have time, information, knowledge, imagination, gifts and talents. All these too are to be given back to God. That may well take radical action to do, but radical giving is what we are called to do. God has given everything so that you and I may live and have life. So by caring and giving, we will reflect that. Let's be radical church together and encourage others to be likewise. But as we've seen, it's not only about giving money and resources. Giving is also to include skills, information, imagination, knowledge and wisdom. Remember the priests and craftsmen were waiting to give in the building of the, and service within the great temple. Churches, particularly these days, need to capture the imagination of those looking for a church home and get them involved quickly. Involvement in such a way that it builds up commitment to God and a growing adoration of Him. If people are involved, they will stay. It means training them up to be fit for service within the church and the wider church. Training for service doesn't occur, then commitment and dedication to God is likely to be diminished. If the same people do the same thing year after year, that local church will eventually die out. Each local church is only one generation away from closing its doors permanently. Giving, as we saw in tonight's passage, is also a community affair. This church is to be a community both within the church and outside of it, where the strongest members support the weakest members. Our leaders here at PBC Give demonstrably, I think, including their time, possessions, money, knowledge and wisdom. And they didn't pay me to say that. But as we also saw tonight, it's not just for leaders to give. Giving in these ways is to be for everyone. Every church has a fantastic array of knowledge, wisdom, possessions and imagination. Let's share that with people outside the church. Who knows what our caring and giving will do for them as it reflects the glory of God. Too often we are found turning a blind eye to the suffering of others when the necessities of life are in sparse existence. Too often we neglect to give up our personal space, time, imagination, information and money generously to help the poor and needy in our local, national and global communities. By doing this giving collectively and radically we will show our faith to be real and practical. There are people out there in our local community just waiting for somebody to give generously to them. We need to be seen to be radically giving to all of our money and possessions and also our time, imagination, knowledge, practical help, care and love. Let us show our relevance to our local community and not be seen as just a curious gathering of people meeting on a Sunday. If you have any ideas how you can help the church here at PBC in any way, then please do see the elders and I can see Bruce and I can see Craig there or even the pastor Adam and talk to them about it. So if I could summarise all this up in just one sentence it will be something like this ask not just what your god can give to you but what great things you can do and give to your god let's pray father once again we thank you for this your uh, your word to us tonight and we pray that we may go out of here uh, seeking to give you are all and of every facet of our life. And may the people of our community know us as a giving and sharing people. We ask all this in the power of the Spirit and in the name of your Son. Amen.